As we continue to worship him this morning, I want to sing a song for you. It's called Gentle Savior. And um, <clears throat> this morning we're going to talk a little bit about where we should go in these times and the uncertainty that we face and um, how do we get where we're going. Well, this song is called Gentle Savior, and the chorus just says, Gentle Savior, lead me on. And uh, sometimes that looks peaceful, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes our Savior is trying to uh, shape us and mold us into something, and it's, it's normally, most of the time, in the valley of our lives where he's doing the most shaping. And uh, so this morning, uh, if you are in the valley, or if you're coming out of the valley, or you feel like you're going into the valley, this morning I pray that these lyrics would bless you uh, wherever you are, and that we would cry out together, gentle Savior, uh, lead me on. Gentle sin. 
That's what makes a difference right there, is letting the Savior lead us on by His Spirit. And that's what we need today in the United States of America. In this nation, we need to be led by the Spirit of God. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to find Isaiah chapter number 58. Isaiah chapter number 58. And while you're finding your place there in Isaiah chapter number 58, I, I want to ask you a question while you're finding that uh, place in your Bible. Have you ever thrown your back out? I mean, several years ago, I, I was putting on my socks, and uh, when I put my sock on, something caught in my back, and I'm telling you what, I went down for weeks and weeks and weeks. It was terrible when my back went out. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever thrown your back out? Let, let me ask you this. Have you ever, while you've thrown your back out, went to bed... And as you're sleeping, you slept on your neck wrong, and then woke up and got a crick in the neck. Has that ever happened? I'm talking about now your back's hurting, and now your neck's hurting. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever, have you ever thrown your back out, got a crick in your neck, in the middle of the night, went to the restroom because you were in such pain, and then stubbed your toe on the end of the bed? That would be a recipe for a headache. There's no doubt you'd have a headache after all that. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I want to share with you, this nation, the United States of America, is suffering from a bad headache. We have thrown our back out, we've got a crick in the neck, and we have stubbed our toe. We've got a massive headache and are in need of a great physician. We need some relief. We need some type of ibuprofen. We need some Advil. We've got to have something for some relief. Let me just say this. The relief that we need in this nation can only come from the great physician. And that relief is Jesus Christ. He's the answer to all the challenges that this nation faces. And by the way, let me just say this. We're not the only nation that ever experienced challenges. No, here we find Israel is experiencing some major cultural challenges. They've been in Babylonian captivity for 50 years. And now they've come out and they're coming there into Jerusalem. And as they're coming there into the city, the prophet Isaiah has been called upon them to preach judgment that's coming because of their hearts. Their hearts are not right. They have this form of religiosity, but they do not have the power thereof. They are not indwelt by the Spirit of God. They're not listening to the leadership of God. They're not following after the counsel of God. But yet they're doing some things outwardly that look like they're in right fellowship and right relationship with God. And so God calls the preacher, Isaiah, and I want you to notice in these 14 verses what God says. And then I want to come back and I want to uh, expound, if I could, on this text. And I want to deal with the topic on the way God heals a nation. God had a desire to heal the nation of Israel. And God has a desire to heal the United States. You say, well, how could you say such an absurd thing, Shane? Uh, the United States, they're not even mentioned in prophecy. How could you say that? I say that based on the scripture. The scripture says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord's. And so if this nation, if the God of this nation is the Lord's, he wants us to be blessed. And the challenge that we have is that we have this outward appearance of godliness. I mean, we have this language of godliness, but we don't have the lifestyle of godliness. We say that we love God, but we don't love God. We say as a nation, well, we care about those that are homeless. We care about those that are sick. We care about those that are afflicted. We don't care. So how could you say such a thing? We've got all these programs, all these things. These programs don't work. Let me tell you what works. 
What works is letting the church be the church. Let the government take care of us and the sovereignty of which our state and nation exists. And they take care of us from that perspective in accordance to Romans chapter 13. And the church takes care of the people. That's what the scripture says we ought to be doing. Let me show you. Look at what the Bible says. God calls to Isaiah and he says, Isaiah, verse 1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily. Now, don't miss that comparison. He said, tell the people of their transgressions. Tell the house of Jacob of their sins. Yet, something is desperately wrong here in verse 2. Yet, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness... And did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice, yet they take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen? Why have we afflicted our soul and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all of, you, all of your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. It is a fast that I, is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day of the Lord? Is this not the fast I have chosen? To loose the bonds of the wicked, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring your house to the poor who are cast out? And when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide your own from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry or you shall cry. And he will say, here I am. If you take away the, lo- the yoke of your, in your, from your midst... The pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from whom among you shall build the old waste places. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer of the streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath. From doing your pleasure on my holy day. And call the Sabbath delight. The holy day of the Lord honorable. And shall honor him not doing your own ways. Nor finding your own pleasure nor speaking your own words then you shall delight yourself in the Lord and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father the mouth of the Lord has spoken period can you believe this text wow I'm telling you Isaiah did not hold back he couldn't I mean, Jeremiah said as a prophet, it, it's like the word of God was shut up in his bones and it just was going to come out. And, and you see Isaiah, he was the same way. He could not. He had to proclaim what God had said. And in doing so, we see some things here in this passage of Scripture that are worth noting. It's worth noting that in verses 1 and 2 here, we see this contrast. This contrast was that that outwardly they sought the Lord, but inwardly they still worshipped their own idols. They still had a little bit of that 50-year Babylonian empire inside of them. And so they still had this outward appearance that they loved God, but inside they were worshipping idols. 
Number two, the second thing you can't help but notice contextually is found in verses 3 through 5, where we see that they, they weren't fasting to seek God, but to prove a point. Uh, their fast was outward and not inward. And remember, the New Testament says over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, we fast, the affliction that we have on our soul is for the inside, not for the outside. We don't fast and sink in our cheeks to look, walk around and, and people recognize and think, oh, they're fasting. No, 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 no. It's a matter of the heart. And so we also see, again, you, you, can't, you can't fail but see it in verses 6 through 14. When they fast as God wants, when they fast with a right heart attitude, they become empathetic, they start putting themselves in other people's shoes, and then they start becoming sympathetic, they start seeing needs as they truly are, and then they become prayerful as they begin to meet the needs of others. You see, this fast that they were participating in inwardly motivated them to do something outwardly. They had it in reverse. They were trying to do things righteous outwardly without changing what's on the inside first. You see, that's why you can't clean your life up before you come to God. you got to come to God first and let Him clean up the inside before there's ever going to be anything changing on the outside. And so as we study this text, I want you to notice, if, if, if you don't mind, I want you to notice four things in particular very quickly with what time I have left. So if you have your pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I want you to write these things down. I hope it will be an encouragement to you. This is how God heals a nation. But let's look up, first of all, verse 1 and 2. The first thing I want you to see is how man approaches God with an outward expression. He approaches God with an outward expression. This is just as true today as it was in the life of Israel. We always approach God with this outward, if you would, expression. And the first thing you notice here is the prophet's demeanor. As these people are approaching God, God looks down and says, Uh-uh, where's my preacher? Preacher, come here. Isaiah, come here. And then he tells Isaiah to do some things, and you see Isaiah's demeanor. The first thing in verse 1 and 2. Look at what he says. Can you imagine the character qualities that this man has to possess in order to do what is about to happen? I mean, think about his demeanor. Think about the way that he looks as God says to Isaiah, cry aloud. He says, cry aloud. That word cry aloud means to call people by name. You call them by name. You, those individuals that are out there that have this outward religiosity, call them by name. And say to them, they're the problems that religion is sending people to hell. The reason why we can't fix the things in America is because we think just another religion is going to fix it. It's not going to fix it. This outward appearance that we have of religiosity will never fix the problem in our culture today. And, and so Isaiah is called upon, and his demeanor is in such a way, to cry out. And then look at what the scripture says. He says, spare not. He says, don't hold back. That's what that means. Don't you dare hold back one word. He says, lift up your voices like a trumpet. Now, the trumpet that he's talking about is not the instrument that we see today. It was a ram's horn. And that ram's, ram's horn was blown to let people know that they were going into battle. It was also blown to let people know that there was going to, to, to be a victory, or a victory had just taken place. Uh, we don't use ram horns today, but many years ago we used to use uh, them little triangular bells. You know, we'd ring those bells when it was time for supper. It's an announcement. It's that something is happening. It's to get everybody's attention. And so that's what God's telling Isaiah. Get everybody's attention. Lift up your voice like a trumpet, like a, like a horn uh, of that we're going to war, that we've got something very important to announce because this is important. And then look at what he says there. He says a, a fourth thing. He says, tell the people of their transgressions. Now remember what transgressions are. Transgressions are knowing the punishment that God's going to give because of your sin and saying, oh, that doesn't bother me, and stepping across the line and doing them anyway. They knew what they were doing. 
They knew that they needed to get right with God in their hearts, but they were unwilling to. You see, they wanted to come to God, and they wanted God to do a work in their lives on their terms, not on God's terms. You see, that's the same problem that Cain had. And what did Cain end up doing to his brother Abel? He killed him because he, came, he wanted God to work on his own terms. We can't let God work on, his, on our own terms. We've got to come his way. And so he says, tell the people of their transgressions. That is, tell them of their rebellion. They know what they're supposed to do, but they're going against God's will anyway. And there was this rebellion towards individuals. That is the way they treated each other. Is that not America? How about this one? There was a rebellion nation against nation. Does that not describe America? I mean, we're at war with everybody right now. And then there was this rebellion against God himself. We're not going to do it God's way. We're going to do it our way. And God tells Isaiah, tell the house of Jacob their sin. He gets very very specific and says he says point out the punishment for their sin I'm telling you what if we don't come God's way and we try to do things our own way not only will judgment continue to rain down upon our nation right now ultimate judgment will come and those without Jesus Christ die and go to an everlasting hell we see the prophets demeanor but you also see in verse number two the people's demise when you get to verse number 2, in verse 2 we see how this death is approaching the children of Israel through their pride. And when you see the people's demise, look at what the Bible says. The Bible says that here they are, there's still this daily attention that they want from God. They have convinced themselves that they're right with God. Look at what the scripture says. Let me point it back in verse number 2. Underline that word yet. You see that? that? That means there's a major problem. He just talked about transgression. He just talked about sin. I mean, he said they're crossing the line intellectually and they know that they're crossing the line. He says, yet their demise is that they seek me daily. They don't want to have a heart change. They just want to keep coming to me the way they're coming. There's this daily attention that they want me to give them, God says. And remember, when you go to chapter number 59, God says, I cannot answer your prayer because of the sin that's in your life. And so he says, they seek me daily. And look at this, here's another one. They delight to know my ways. That is dedicated wisdom. They want God to dedicate wisdom to them. Delight to know my ways. Number three, there's this devoted righteousness. Look at what he says in the text. He says, as a nation that did righteousness. Oh, we did what was right. Oh, we did what was right. And then look at what he says. Dedicated, there's this directed request. They've got these directed requests that they ask. They ask me for the ordinance of justice. They want me, God says... To exercise judgment upon the land, righteous judgment, when they are living in sin and wickedness, they're not following after the commandments that I place before them. Remember, we're talking about the Old Testament here. So this all the law that God has put before them on how they should live, to show that they could never measure up, to show them to act in humility, to approach God with a humble attitude, to approach God with brokenness. They don't do that, God says. Look at what he says there in the latter part of verse number 2. He says this, they take delight in approaching God. There's the problem. They are so pride-filled that in the midst of their sin, they trample over the graciousness of God by taking the approach to delight in coming to a holy God. The Bible says that we can come to him and cry out, Abba, Father. The Bible says the veil has been ripped from top to bottom. But dear friend, the way you approach God, you don't come kicking the door in. Hey, Daddy, here I am. Several years ago, I was in Africa and went to a little village to see the chief. And I've shared this story multiple times. And the way that you showed signs of respect is you got lower than the chief. 
which is, is fine for me. I'm, I'm five foot eight and shrinking every year. But for the taller folks, it was a little bit harder. But if you had a, if you had a, short, a short chief that you were seeing, you, you had to get down low and get low. And one of the forms of respect by getting down low, you got down low and you clapped your hands. And you waited for the chief to see that you're sincere in your respect. And he would reach down and he would pick you up and say, talk to me face to face. If we'll take the time to respect an earthly chief like that, we as born-again children of God who know the creator of this universe ought to be wise enough to enter into his gates with praise and thanksgiving, but with an attitude of reverence, with an attitude of awe. He is an awesome God. You see, verse number 2 says that the delight that they had was in opposition to humility. There was no humility in these people. They were filled with pride. And it's that pride that filled them that caused delight within their sin. They thought they were superior to everybody else. It gave the appearance of righteousness, but it lacked humility. And remember, remember what pride does. Pride will rot you from the inside. Proverbs chapter number 6, verses 16 through 19. I don't have time to go over there, but you can look at it. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. The Bible says, These six things the Lord doth hate. Yea, seven are an abomination. And the first one, he says, is a proud look. He's referring to the pride of an individual that has infiltrated his soul in such a way that now it has manifested itself in his countenance. And he looks at people through the eyes of pride. I'm better than you. God says, this is your problem. There's this inward problem. And then not only does God, uh, does God, do we see in this passage of Scripture, this outward expression, God reveals this inward problem in verse 3 and 4. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, why have we fasted then, they say, and you've not seen us? Why have we afflicted our souls and, you've taken, and you haven't taken any, any notice? In fact, in the day of our fast, you find pleasure and exploit your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. We see here that as God is revealing this inward problem, and as God reveals this inward problem in verse 3 and 4, he wastes no time in pointing out specifically what their problems are. Number one, the first thing you see, their problems is their intentions. Do you see what the Bible says? He says, you find pleasure, the Bible says. You find pleasure, in verse number 3, in your fast. So, so you practice this religiosity, and you want to show me you're sincere by fasting. And that fasting has vexed your soul. It has afflicted your soul. You're stirred up inside because of this fasting. But here's the problem. It didn't stir you to confess your sins. It stirred you to ask God for a righteous social judgment to fall. When you haven't even dealt with your heart first and foremost. So he says there's a problem with your intentions. First of all. Number two. The second thing he says is there's a problem with your actions. Look at what he says in the text again in verse number 3. He says, not only, in fact, on the day of your fast you find pleasure. He says, and you exploit all your laborers. He, here is their actions. Their actions are exploitation. The reality was that on any given day when they fasted, they still demanded unrealistic results. And these unrealistic results was, was forecasted to their employees. And God says, I'm not going to accept your fast because you treat people the wrong way. Deal with your heart. If we want God to change and heal our nation, we've got to deal with our heart. 
Racism is not a, it's not a skin color issue. It's a heart issue. And number three, he talks about their tactics. He says, there's a problem. God is revealing this inward problem. He says, inside of you, your intentions are wrong, your actions are wrong, and your tactics are wrong. Look at what he says He says there in the text. He, he goes on to say in verse number four, Indeed, you fast for strife. Indeed, you fast for debate. Indeed, you fast to strike with the fist of, the wick, of wickedness. The word strife there means uh, the controversial problems where they want their way and not God. You're so concerned about having it your way, you're not listening to what God's saying. And it's causing this strife, not only amongst lost people, but it's causing strife amongst believers. He says it's also causing debate. That is, uh, this debate is contention uh, by not following through with what God, God says. You, you, don't debate the, the, you don't debate the Word of God. You know, people say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, no, there's only one problem, the part where you put yourself in that conversation. God said it, that settles it. It doesn't matter what you believe or not. So you either get on board with God or you have your own way. But know this, in having your own way, God's going to have his way in you. So there's this debate going on in the nation, in their tactics. So what we'll do, he says, is, is here's what the children of Israel are saying. We're going to be controversial in our problems. And through that controversy, we're going to debate and see if we can't split the nation. And then... The natural outcome of that will be, look at what he says there. In the it's right there in the text. Here's where we're at in America. To strike with the fist of wickedness. Just beat everybody up. But we will go against civil law. This is the problem with our sin-sick American nation today. We are strife-ridden. We are debate-driven. And we're fighting each other. When really the problem is a problem of the heart. Notice the end of verse number 4. He says there in verse number 4 in the end, he says, You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. He says, You want to do it your way. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen. And then watch this, number three. Here, let me just, I've got to hurry. I'm running out of time. Can you believe how quickly? Look at your watch. See, it goes fast, doesn't it? Here's the third point. God gives an upward instruction. God's not one to say, okay, here's, here's the problem, and then turn around and walk away. He says, okay, here's the internal problem that you have. It's a matter of your heart. But then he gives instruction from up on high. Here's what you need to do about it. Look at what he says in verse number 5 and following. He says, is this the fast I've chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush? That's a cattail, by the way. You ever seen a broken cattail? It gets too heavy on, and the wind blows, and, just, and it, it dies. It has no life. And so God is saying here, he says, is that really what I want with fasting? Is that what true humility looks like, like a cattail bent over? It's dead. Look at what he says. He says, how about this? Do you think that I, I find it great that you spread out sackcloth and ashes? You think I'm moved by that, God says? This outward appearance of you falling down on your face, bent over like a cattail, and sackcloth and ashes all over the place. Do, do you really think that I can't see inside your heart? Do you really think you're fooling me? He says, would you call this a fast? Here's what he says. And an acceptable day to the Lord. You see the upward instruction. What's the upward instruction? The upward instruction is stop paying attention to the outside and start getting the inside right. Start getting your heart right, he says. 
Quit trying to pass a new law. Quit trying to make everybody get along. Quit trying to legislate morality and get your hearts right. That's what he said. It's in the book. And remember, he, he told Isaiah to cry it loud. He said, don't, don't hold back. And then watch number four. Here's the last one. I've got to close. I'm out of time. Man sees a downward result. So when there's religiosity being portrayed in the life of a believer who says he loves God but doesn't do what God wants, does it his own way, and that individual's not having their prayers answered. God keeps saying no, 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 or ignoring you. And we fast asking God to do something great. We still don't hear an answer. And so we say, well, he, he doesn't care about us. We shake our fist at God and run away. When all the while, it's a heart problem. And all God's saying is fix your heart. You want me to answer your prayer? Fix your heart. Get your heart back in tune with me. And so... Here's the results. When you do it God's way and you get your heart right with God, look at what happens in verses 6 through 14. Can you believe this? This is what we want to see in America. But the only way we're going to see it is to individually get our hearts right with God. He says, is this not the fast that I have chosen? So in essence, he's going, now let me tell you the fast that I'm really looking for. Here's the fast that I would love to answer for you. Here it is, to loose the bonds of wickedness. Is there wickedness in your land? I want to take that wickedness. I want, to, I want to loosen it. I want to get rid of it. I want it to go. The bonds that you're under, I want it to, those bonds to fall. Number two, to undo heavy burdens. What kind of burden are you under? I can lift that burden, God says, if you'll fast with a proper heart. To let the oppressed go free. Is there anybody in the nation that feels oppressed? Jesus says, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In fact, he says, and not only that, he says, I'll break the yoke you feel like is upon you. I'll take it off of you. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? That nobody go hungry? We, we talk about in our world today, in our nation, all these problems that we have uh, concerning homelessness and, and hunger. But what are we willing to do about it? We ought to feed the hungry. I, I tell you what, if, you, if we fed the hungry, it would weed out some of these morons out there that, that just absolutely are taking advantage of everything that, that we have today. Several years ago, when I was serving in Atala, Alabama, uh, we lived right by the train tracks. And we always had people, always had people. Uh, they, would, they would come to the door. They'd knock on the church door because they're walking up and down the train tracks, traveling, hobos, whatever the case may be. And we stopped giving them money. Uh, we would freeze chili. And so when they would come through, we would take the chili out of the freezer and we would give it to them. And we weeded out really quick who were professional scoundrels and who really were hungry. The hungry took the, the chili and were grateful and said, thank you for feeding me. The scoundrel said, I don't want the chili I just want some dinero. I want some money. And what we would say to those guys is, what you really need is the master. You don't need the money, you need the master. You need Jesus. And look at what he says there. He says, when you see the naked, you cover him. And not hide yourself from your own flesh. Oh, mercy. We, we all worked up today about the sensualism that exists today. But we're not willing to do anything to help. What I'm saying to you today is, and what God is saying to the children of Israel, listen, if you're going to curse the darkness for heaven's sakes, light a candle. He says, he goes on in verse number 8, he says, when you get your heart right with God, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. You won't have to tell people that, you, that you're righteous. You won't have to, you, hey, I went to church this week. No, you won't have to tell them that. They're going to see that you've spent time with Jesus. I love verse, the latter part of verse 8, where he goes, he says this. He says, I'm going to go before you, the Lord your God 
or the, the glory of, of the Lord shall be your rear guard. What's guarding you in the back? The glory of the Lord. He says, then you're going to call on me in verse 9. And the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Right now we're saying, God, where are you? God, where are you? Yet when we get our hearts right and we start listening to him, we hear him say, here I am. Here I am. Can you hear him? Can you hear him saying, here I am? He's with us. But we got to be right in here. Watch this. Let me show you this. I've got to close. I'm out of time. I'm done. I want you to look here in verse number 9. And I want you to note the personal pronouns. There's a responsibility that we have. Look at what he says here. He says, if you take away the yoke from your midst, i got a responsibility to get this yoke off of me. How do I get this yoke off of me? How do I get it? How do I? In fact, he says, get it out of your midst. How do I get it out of my sight? I have this responsibility. I get my heart right. Look at what he goes on to say. The pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness. Stop that. Get your heart right. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul and your strength and your bones, and you shall be like a watered garden. And he goes on, you, 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 if you do, you can do this. But here's how you do it. You humbly come before God. Now, how do you apply this? How in the world do you take this and apply it to the New Testament? Because this is an Old Testament passage, Pastor. How do you do this? Don't miss this or you'll miss the whole thing. Paul had to deal with racial discrimination and racial heartache and racial tension his whole ministry. As a matter of fact, every nation, the stain on American history is slavery. The stain on any civil history is slavery. You research it. Slavery has existed and it is a stain and a sin for all generations that still even exist today. And yet we find that Paul, in dealing with it, he never, ever just let it go by the wayside. As a matter of fact, let's take one illustration that's in the book of Romans, where Paul says very blatantly between the racial discrimination between Jews and Gentiles and the tension that exists, they were calling each other dogs for heaven's sakes. I mean, they hated each other. They would walk all the way around just so they wouldn't have to pass a Jew and vice versa, that a Jew wouldn't have to pass a, a Gentile. They didn't want to have anything to do with them ravaging dogs. And then Paul shows up on the scene. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, he says this. There's no difference. Because of Jesus Christ, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all that call upon him. We later see that echoed in Philip's life. Remember when Philip was called to the Ethiopian eunuch? The Ethiopian eunuch? Here's a guy that was, you talk about somebody that nobody wanted anything to do with. Is Here's this guy from Ethiopia that can't even reproduce himself. Why would anybody want to spend time with him? And yet God picked the preacher up and stuck him over there immediately so that man could hear about Jesus. And so what do we take away from this regarding the situation that we have? If God is going to heal our nation, then we've got to first of all deal with our heart. And when God deals with our heart, watch this. Here's the natural outpouring of this. Here it is. Then we will become three things. Number one, the first thing is we'll become empathetic to the hurting. We will become empathetic to the hurting. Those who are truly hurting in our nation today need somebody to be empathetic with them. This means understanding what they're saying. We have got to understand that when a group, a body of people 
in this case, black, the black lives, when black lives say black lives matter, those truly that are hurting that say that are not saying that other lives does not matter. They're not saying that. They're just saying, will somebody be empathetic to our pain? Will somebody be empathetic to our hurting? Note that there will be organizations that hate humanity and that hate everybody and will take it and twist that. But that calls us as born-again children of God to have the proper discernment to be empathetic to those that are hurting. Number two, be sympathetic to the diligent. Be sympathetic to the diligent. Hear me out. Those who are trying to protect the civil laws we have as American citizens are not all criminals. Not every policeman is a bad cop. And so if not everyone is a bad cop, then we've got to be sympathetic to those who are diligent. Those who are diligently seeking civil uh, prosperity and civil authority and civil law. we got to be sympathetic towards them. Not every police officer is a bad cop. Number three. Here's the third one. Be prayerful concerning judgment. Be prayerful concerning judgment. What do you mean by that? The ones who riot and cause mayhem through violence, we need to pray for God's judgment to rain down. And be prayerful in that judgment. We must remember what Paul said to the Romans in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Note this. Highlight. Print it off on your printer and put it on, on your refrigerator. Listen to what he says. Repay no evil for evil. Have a regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as demands on on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Only God can bring peace to the chaos that we're experiencing. And here's the great news. I'm done. God wants to heal our land. But it still requires 1 John 1.9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We have got to recognize that we have sinned against a holy and righteous God. And because of that sin, we are seeing the natural manifestation in our culture today from rejecting and turning away from God. We must come back to him. We have sinned against And the only way to come back to him is personally, personally recognize you're a sinner. Confess that sin to God. That is, repent of that sin. And trust Jesus Christ to save you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that, sir? Have you ever done that, ma'am? Son? Daughter? Have you ever done that? I want to ask you to do that today. I want to ask you to start today and have an experience of personal revival by doing away with your religion, do away with your religiosity, your piety, and come back to God. Before you start dealing with the speck in everybody else's eye, let's deal with the plank in our own eye. We're not spending time with God like we should. We're not praying like we should. Do we truly want to share the gospel with people we come in contact with? If we really did, then the coronavirus would not stop us from doing that. 
As a matter of fact, if we really believe, if we really believe Jesus is the only way, then we would be in our, we would be in the, in the grocery store with coronavirus happening, even with masks on. We'd be saying, "Let me tell you, how to beat Corona is through Jesus. The cure for Corona is Christ." See, this world's temporary. We're all dying. Do you realize that we live on a planet? This planet is nothing but it's corpse. We, we live on this sphere that's a graveyard. And we're dying every day. One day we'll lay, I will lay this body down. It'll go back to the earth where it came from. But I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever with Jesus. Why? 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that today. Say, I want to know that preacher. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I repent of my sin. I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Dear friend, if you prayed that prayer, you meant it with all your heart, welcome to the family of God. Church, I want to tell you I love you. And I am joyed, overjoyed to be your pastor. I cannot wait till next week. You think I got excited today? You wait till next week. If you haven't signed up for one of our services, we still have some space available. Remember, we close the service, signing up for the service, on Friday at 12 o'clock. So you've got till Friday at 12 o'clock to sign up. And I need you to sign up because we need to know so we can make preparations for you coming. I love you. God bless you. Have a blessed week. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our broadcast today. It is the purpose of Maysville Baptist Church to love God, love others, and serve the world. One of the ways that we serve the world is broadcasting this program all over the world through the Internet. I want to tell you what a joy it is to have you tune in today. Maybe at the end of the service you prayed and received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Several years ago, I wrote a book entitled My First Week. I would love to send you a copy of this book to help you on your brand new journey as being a born-again Christian. If you'll just reach out to me by our website, send me an email, uh, or maybe even call the church. I'd be glad to drop this in the mail and send it to you. May the Lord bless you for tuning in. I hope to see you next week, and thank you for being with us at Mason. So we pray.